Introducing Bluehost Cloud, ultra-fast WordPress hosting with 100% uptime. Want a website with unmatched power, speed, and control? Of course you do. And now you can have all three with Bluehost Cloud, the new web hosting plan from Bluehost. With 100% uptime and incredibly speedy load times, your WordPress websites will be dependable and lightning fast on a global scale. Plus, your sites can handle even the biggest traffic spikes without going down or lagging. And with Bluehost Cloud, you get 24-7 WordPress priority support, meaning you're connected to WordPress experts anytime you need them. Not to mention, you automatically get daily backups and world-class security. So, what are you waiting for? Get Bluehost Cloud today by visiting bluehost.com. That's bluehost.com. Hello and welcome to the Money Nerds Podcast, where owning a calculator, budgeting your money, and having a net worth is actually cool. I'm your host, Whitney Hansen, and each week I'll be chatting with inspiring people to learn their secrets to financial success. Now let's dive into the show. I grew up in a family where there was a lot of financial abuse and with financial abuse, sometimes that is a gateway or it leads into domestic abuse of some type. Now that's not always, but that was the experience that I had when I grew up. Now this was with my parents, not myself. I have not been in a situation where I've been in a financially abusive relationship, but I know it's common. In fact, it's really, really common. There was a study that was conducted by Sensei, which is a financial advice firm, and they surveyed nearly 2,000 millennials. Now, given are these perfect surveys? No, of course not. But it gives you an idea of how prevalent this stuff actually is. They talked to people between the ages of 18 to 35 and tried to figure out if they had received or had been uh, the cause or recipient of behaviors constituting financial abuse or financial infidelity. And that study showed that 60% of millennial couples experienced some form of financial infidelity or abuse. That is absolutely crazy to me. Now, again, I don't know if that survey is completely accurate. Like, it surely it's not peer studied. However, it does show you how prevalent this stuff is, and that is very, very notable. Because this topic is so important and so critical and affects so many people, I wanted to bring on a really great expert to talk about her experience working with couples and dealing with divorce and prenup. And more importantly, how do we identify signs of financial abuse in our own lives or even in our friends' lives? So it's really critical. It's a really important conversation, and I'm super excited to have that conversation with you. But before we dive into the content and specifically what you're going to learn from this episode, I have to share with you a really phenomenal money win. This money win came from Haley. Haley said, I took your tip and opened a Roth IRA as my employer does not currently have any 401k or retirement benefits in place. I'm 27 and keep keep saving for other things like wedding and house down payment, and keep neglecting retirement thinking I'll have time in the future. Thanks for inspiring me to get $50 in there now, not later. Hashtag money win. Haley, I am so proud of you for taking that step and really prioritizing future Haley. There's no greater gift you can give to yourself than making sure that you are taken care of in the future. So I'm really proud of you. And I just wanted to say congrats to you and your money win and taking action from the previous five tip Friday episode. I think that's the one that inspired you. So way to go. I'm just crazy proud of you. That's amazing. Don't forget if you want to share your money win with me, I would love to celebrate with you. 
That's like my favorite thing in the whole world. So if you have a money win, tag me on Instagram. I'm at Whitney underscore Hanson underscore co. I would love to just hear what you're up to, see all the cool things you're doing. Or if you're not on Instagram, pop into the Facebook group, Manage Your Money Like a Boss. It's a free group. There's a ton of money nerds in there, and it's a very supportive group where you can ask questions and get support on your journey. Okay, let's dive into today's guest. Jacqueline Newman is a total rock star. She's a New York City-based divorce lawyer, and she is a managing partner at a top-tier fifth Avenue Manhattan law firm. The cool thing is she focuses exclusively on divorce, but her practice also runs the gamut from prenups for high net worth people to those that are in high conflict. I mean, marriage litigation, it it can be really, really tricky sometimes. So she deals with that. She also deals with dissolutions involving complex financial assets and even difficult custody issues. She is such an incredible resource because she has seen a lot of the, I would say the more ugly side of marriage and seeing when it dissolves, like, what does that mean? And where do people go wrong? She's also the author of a book called The New Rules of Divorce. She's an experienced commentator. She's been on tons of different radio shows and in the news, literally so many. If you want to check out the show notes, you can see everywhere that Jacqueline's been featured. It's quite impressive for sure. So in this episode, you're going to learn what Jacqueline thinks is the most common cause of divorce. We talk about great tips for communication for couples, what a prenup is and how it affects families. We talk a little bit about why people without a large net worth might still consider getting a prenup. Huge red flags of financial abuse. These are critical, so please pay attention during to during this section. And we also talk about what to do if you realize that maybe you are in a financially abusive situation. This episode is probably one of the more important episodes I've ever recorded. I think it's such a critical thing to be aware of and a conversation that everybody needs to have. And so I'm really excited to bring this episode to you, even though it's not necessarily like the most fun of topics, it's actually so important for your finances and for your physical and mental well-being too. So I hope you enjoyed this episode. I am so excited to introduce you to Jacqueline Newman. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode. Today I am joined by Jacqueline Newman, who is a total rock star when it comes to all things marriage and sometimes the ugly, unfortunate side of marriage's ending. Jacqueline, I am honored that you took the time to come hang out with us. Thanks so much for having me. I, I'm specifically curious, how the heck did you get into divorce law? Like, what was the the draw to that for you? So both my parents are psychotherapists, and the big family joke is I was too aggressive to be a therapist. So we kind of always felt like this is sort of the next best thing. Um, you know, I've been doing it for, God, over 20 years, and, uh, you know, and I absolutely love it. That's amazing. The 20 years of dealing with divorce. So I got, I got to ask, are you cynical when it comes to divorce? You know, I mean, cynical when it comes to marriage. You know, no, I'm not. And, you know, a lot of people also ask, you know, does it affect me? Because I am married. Um, and people would say, you know, does it affect my marriage? And I actually think it's helpful because, you know, being that I see so many different relationships and I see how bad they can be, the fact that my husband, like, doesn't put the dishes in the dishwasher, which is still very annoying because the dishwasher is literally right there and it's like you don't even have to take a step. But it's not as annoying and it doesn't, you know, because I have a point of comparison of how relationships really can be dysfunctional. And so I actually think, plus I'm exhausted. Like, I don't want to go home and fight. I've been fighting all day. <laughs> I'm like, sure. so, you know, it definitely keeps a perspective for that, too. Give me some context. I don't really know too much about the job of an attorney, but how many clients do you work with at a given time? Ooh, that's a good question. Um, you know, I usually have a caseload of probably around 
30 to 40, but they're all at different stages. So, you know, I have some clients that, you know, I've been speaking to for years. Um, and you know, they just kind of call me when something's going on and you know, but they don't really move forward. I have others that I'm in the heat of litigation where I speak to on a daily basis. Um, you know, and then there's everything in between, you know, and we do, our firm does mediation, collaborative law and litigation, and I do prenups. So it's like, it really depends on which process somebody's in to get a sense of how often I'm working with them. But I'm also managing partner of my firm. So, you know, there's a lot of, there's probably over 300 cases in our firm, but so I'm kind of like overseeing some of these other ones too. And this is all within New York. Is that right? Yeah, everything. Well, we have an office in Westchester, uh, which is also in New York. And we do have um, an of counsel person in New Jersey, but I'm basically um, in mostly in New York City. Okay. So you've been in this business a long time. What, in your opinion, what are the reasons that people typically get divorced? Is it truly money like we always hear or is it something else? You know, I think the real reason people get divorced, I think there are two reasons. One, I think it's failure of communication. I think that's truly what ends up happening. You know, I say that when people get married, everybody's speaking English. By the time they get to me, one's speaking Swahili and one's speaking Japanese. Like, they're just totally no longer speaking the same language. Um, so I think that that happens. The other thing I have that I think happens is that people have failed expectations. I think people go into marriage thinking it's going to be, you know, chocolate and, and flowers and everything all the time. And it's just not. You know, you add in a kid, you add in a mortgage, you add in two jobs, you know, you add in a barking dog. And at the end of the day, people are exhausted. And I think that they just have certain expectations of what it's supposed to be. And it just and then it fails, you know, for other reasons. And, you know, we can get into probably more so, you know, people change during marriage and there's a lot of things that happen. Um, but that's the two reasons. And I think what happens is people get angry and then it gives resentment and then there's control issues. And that's where money and sex come in. And, you know, and sometimes affairs and whatever else happens. And, you know, a lot of people blame that that's the reason that divorce happened. But I actually think it's much deeper than that. I love that you mentioned communication because that's something that, God, like everything in life comes down to communication. It seems like that's the root of all of our problems sometimes. No, I absolutely agree. I think that is the root of all problems. <laughs> it really is. So how do we how do we communicate better? So if somebody's listening and maybe they're married, they they don't want to get to that point where they, they have to call you and say, hey, now we're going through a divorce. What are some things that we can do even maybe pre-marriage to help us yeah. have a better conversation? So I think, you know, I know a lot of people that actually will do couples counseling before marriage, partially for reasons like this, just to learn to be able to speak to each other. You know, one thing that, you know, this is going to sound probably off base, but it really does bring us back. Um, sometimes prenup negotiations, I feel like actually can be very helpful in communication. And usually people come to me and they say, oh, prenups are so unromantic and I'm planning my divorce and, you know, I don't want to be doing this. And I always say, you know, at the end of the day, if you can do it properly and if it's done with respect, I actually think it opens a door. Um, you know, one of my favorite client stories about this, and I actually do talk about this in my book, is that you know, I had a client once, I represented the wife, that it was a prenup situation. And the husband was, you know, my, my client was younger and, you know, and very pretty. And the husband was older. And, you know, it was one of those kind of stereotypical, very wealthy um, situations. And they get married, you know, as I say, they kind of met in the elevator and getting married. And basically, it was a really rough negotiation. I mean, he didn't want to talk about money. He didn't want to tell her what he had. He didn't want to be, you know, he didn't want to have these conversations at all. And for her, she felt that was because he didn't want to share with her. He was being secretive. He was being controlling, all of these things. So throughout the negotiation, it got to a point where it came out that he, you know, money to him was, you know, his father said he wouldn't amount to anything. And the fact that this money was really symbolic for him. And the other thing that happened in these negotiations, so that was really touching for her. And she heard that. The other thing that was really <clears throat> interesting in these, in these discussions was that every time he would start to speak, she would cut him off. 
and she would get hysterical and stuff. And I, we got to a point and when he would, she would speak, he would just roll his eyes. Mm. So when we were sitting there, the attorney and I, who knew each other for a long time and knew we worked in similar manners, we kind of made rules in the room that when he speaks, she has to let him finish the sentences and she cannot jump on him. And when she speaks, he has to look her in the eye and not roll his eyes and listen to her. Mm. And I will tell you, it was very difficult for them. It was almost like we were like in, you know, grade school being like, no talking, raise your hand. <laughs> but I will say they learned to hear each other. And so we finally signed this agreement. She, and she was crying and it was a whole big thing. And she comes into my office after and there's literally tears on her eyelids still. And she says to me, I'm so glad we went through this. And I said to her, I was like, I'm kind of surprised to hear you say that considering how difficult this was. And she said, no, we learned how to have a difficult conversation. We talked about things. I never would have understood this. And to me, this would have been something that hung over our heads the entire marriage, the way he looked at money, because I would have thought he was just trying to control me. And so, you know, and I use this as an example a lot of like, this can actually talk because money, people don't like to talk about money. You know, that's, that's some, for whatever reason, it's very often seen as a taboo subject. And you know, and people get embarrassed about it and everybody has different feelings about it. And I think it's so important to talk about from the beginning, you know, money, sex, children, everything like your first date should be huge. <laughs> you, know, you should be <laughs> right. talking a lot, um, you know, and your second and your third and et cetera. But I think it is very important to have these kind of conversations before you get married. So everybody has expectations that are met. Um, and then, you know, really have, you know, learn how to talk to each other. I mean, the other thing I say about communication is learn how to fight. Well, I mean, that I think is one of the art you know, don't hit below the belt. Realize that anything you say is going to possibly be thrown back at you later in life. Like, you know, if you feel yourself getting hysterical, walk out of the room. Like it's a really people that fight dirty. I think it ends up, it, it hurts people. And as much as you say, sorry, I just said it in the moment, people don't forget. And, you know, and you really, you cross lines. So I think there's a very big skill in learning how to fight well. And I do find that, you know, relationships that I know of that have lasted are because people are respectful when they're unhappy. I love that. I think that's a really great point, too, of learning how to fight well. You you wouldn't think that that would be something that we have to learn, but you're, you're spot on because I think sometimes our initial reaction is, I'm going to lash out, I'm going to hurt this person as much as I can. But you're right. People carry that crap around for years, and it's always there. 100%. Yeah. No, you're on the same team. And like anytime my husband and I even get into it, I always say, like, you and I are on the same team. Like, you're not against me. You know, you and I are on the same team. We just have to figure out like what's going on. And so I think that that is a really important message. Like you married this person at one point. And I say this even in divorce when people want to lash out and stuff. I say, look, this person's, you know, the mother or father of your children and assuming they are and or you love them once. Like, why do you want like what satisfaction are you going to derive from hurting them? And if you're actually in a marriage, even more to the point, like if you're getting divorced, fine, maybe there's a little satisfaction. But if you're in the marriage, you like to think that there wouldn't be. No, it's so true. And I know we're going to talk a little bit about financial abuse and how these are really subtle signs sometimes. But I have to dig into prenups for a sec, because I have not embarrassingly, I have not talked about this on the show yet, Jacqueline. So I'm really stoked to dive into it. So let's start like the basics, like what the crap is a prenup? Okay. So a prenuptial agreement is really just an agreement made before marriage. I mean, that's it. And what you generally will address in a prenup is you will address asset distribution. You can address spousal support. You can address estate rights. Pretty much like that's it. It's all financial. At least in New York, you cannot address custody and you can't address child support. No kid related issues. So why would somebody want that? <laughs> I guess like, isn't, don't the states have some type of almost like built in system of like, this is what happens in the event of a divorce? Like, wh why would somebody be enticed to have that? So there's a lot of reasons. I mean, first of all, you know, laws are changing all the time. And the thing is, a lot of these laws are not 
you know, they're not cookie cutter laws. I mean, there are, you know, especially when you're dealing in the high net worth space, which is basically where I, you know, most of my clients are, the laws don't even help us to a large degree because like spousal support, maintenance, uh, spousal support, the formulas for that aren't, you know, they wouldn't be applicable if you're making millions of dollars a year. And, you know, and there's just a lot of fuzziness because, you know, they write the laws to kind of try to make things as simple as possible. But at the end of the day, they're not. (laughs) And so a lot of times people want to enter into a marriage knowing what's going to happen if they get out of it. I think that it gives an element of surety. The other reason is that, you know, if you have family money, if you have, if you have your own business, if you own real estate, if there's a huge income disparity, um, you know, there's a, those are other reasons that people might want to enter into a marriage because they want to know people aren't marrying them for their money. Um, they want to protect, you know, families, you know, we deal with a lot of old money cases and families are very protective of their money. They want it to go down the bloodline. So, you know, these are the type of things you address, even though I will tell you, you know, I have a case right now where I'm representing the moneyed spouse who is a family money person. And, you know, ultimately because his money is coming from trusts, the wife really wouldn't be entitled to basically anything without a prenup. So this prenup, as much as it looks like it's protecting him, at the end of the day, it really is giving her more than what a court would probably give her in a divorce because of the fact all of his money is separate property. That is so interesting. I I heard one time, and this has always stuck with me, that a prenup is something that we all have in some form. We all have, like, this is what's going to happen if you get divorced. We all have that. A prenup, when you create it, is just you saying, this is what my wishes are. And I really like that because it, it kind of made it a little bit more personal for me. So for somebody that's maybe, let's say like a business owner, like me, maybe. <laughs> so yeah. I have a business and I don't know what the business will come to. It might amount to millions in the future. It might go bankrupt. Who freaking knows, right? But is that something that a prenup would help cover your butt in that event that it does go gainbusters and does well? 100%. So one of the concerns when you're a business owner is that, you know, if you were to get divorced, so let's say you, let's say you started it before the marriage and let's say there really wasn't much value to it. Mm-hmm. And then, so then it would be your separate property because you had it before the marriage, but right. then you, then it grows during the marriage and it grows either due to your efforts or to your spouse's efforts. It kind of doesn't matter. It's marital efforts that are put into it. Mm. And then it grows. And now it's worth, let's say, you know, $7 million. And you're in a situation where your spouse is going to say, well, I want a piece of that. Now, part of the problem is that, first of all, valuations of businesses are very hard to do because they're completely subjective. They're also incredibly expensive. And the other thing is, if you're a business owner, you know, a lot of people run certain expenses through their businesses that they don't necessarily want someone poking around in all their books. So you have that element to it. And the worst thing is that if you get a valuation done when you're getting divorced, you want it to be as low as possible, right? But if you ever try to sell your business one day, the first thing a buyer is going to say is, have you ever had this business appraised? And then you're going to have to show them this and say, well, I was just trying to screw my spouse. You know, that's not going to bode well for any uh, future, you know, negotiations <laughs> there. So that's that's really I mean, there's a lot there's a lot of other reasons why from a business owner perspective. But those are like your high level ones of why you want to do it. Do you think like the average Joe that maybe doesn't have a ton of net worth and is combining assets is a is a prenup something they should still consider? You know, I, I have a lot of people that are not particularly wealthy that ultimately still want prenups. And originally I used to be like, why bother? You know, why go through all of this? But for them, again, it was a lot of it was the surety. You know, they wanted to know that when they get out of this, because laws, as I said, are changing constantly. And they just didn't want to be in a position where they didn't know what was going to happen. I mean, it, and, you know, and one of the specifically, I'm thinking of one case where, you know, it really was surprising to me. And they thought they might be rich one day because they also, you know, were starting small businesses. But conceptually, they said, listen, I might live my life a certain way if I know what's going to happen at the end of it. You know, like they knew, like for them, it was a question of whether they wanted their income to be marital or separate. And one person was more of a spender than the other. 
And so they said, listen, I don't want to be in a situation where I'm mad all the time that he or she is spending because I'm a saver. But yet if at the end of the day, you know, he spends, I save, and then we get divorced and I still have to give him half of what I have, like that's not going to make me happy. Mm -hmm. So they really wanted to do it to kind of almost dictate what happens during the marriage. So it would kind of alleviate any of those kind of anger and stress from them. I love that. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. You wrote a book. Tell me a little bit about your book called New Rules of Divorce. What was the inspiration behind it? So it's the new rules of divorce. It's 12 secrets to protecting your health, wealth, health, and happiness. And the reason I wrote this book was really, I felt like there were so many people that were asking me, you know, when I do consultations, they were asking me the same questions over and over again, which were totally reasonable, natural questions. I'd have the same ones. And I started thinking, I was like, you know, there's a lot of people that there's a lot of myths out there. And there's a lot of people that had these images of divorce. And I thought it would just be a really helpful tool to people before you go and you spend that initial consultation fee you know, get a little context, understand things, understand the feelings that you're going through that are normal, understand, you know, some very basics of the law. I mean, I address, you know, from, because I only practice in New York, it's New York law, but it's the same general gist that you can use anywhere and at least be educated enough that when you go into these meetings with attorneys, you know what to ask, you know what to be concerned about. Um, And the other thing is that there are certain things that people still believe that I wanted to dispel now. Like I didn't want them going in, you know, there's still this feeling of, you know, moms always get custody. Well, that's changing. And that is a new rule in New York. Like now in New York and pretty much everywhere else, I mean, there is definitely a shift toward fathers having 50-50 custody if they want that. And, you know, it's it's not totally at the point where the burden is on the mom to say it shouldn't happen, but we're getting pretty close. Um, and I'll be very curious to see after this quarantine where you have so many, where you have both parents so involved and in doing homeschooling and stuff. I'm so curious to see if what's going to happen in custody because I imagine that there's going to be a lot of dads that weren't as involved as they were previously and now are. And so it'll be, cu- I'll be curious to see if like all the myths I, of the thing I said in this book is now going to be, you know, fast forwarded a whole bunch. I know you um, know. So there's that. You never do know. So there's things like that. You know, I talk a lot about feelings, you know, in the first couple chapters of the book really talk about, are you sure you want to get divorced? You know, it's a question I ask people when they first walk into my office. I say, are you sure? Because if you're questioning it all, go see a marriage counselor. Like, don't go through this unless you are 100% sure. And so, you know, I do a lot of testing for people in the beginning of like, you know, really test and make sure this is what you want to do. Because don't go down that avenue unless you're sure. I, I love that you start with that question. Like, what a profound but simple question to ask is, do you actually want this for your life? I think that's really beautiful. Thanks. Yeah, no, it's important. Because a lot of people think they do because they're mad. But then I say, okay, well, how are you going to feel? And this, I do this in the book. I say, how are you going to feel when your kids don't wake up in your house every single day? Mm-hmm. How are you going to feel when, you know, every other Christmas they're not with you? How are you going to feel when your lifestyle changes, you know, financially? Like, how is all of this going to feel to you? And so a lot of times people walk out of my office and say, you know what? My spouse isn't that bad. <laughs> <laughs> they're like, I'll deal with it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. We, we can learn to, to argue better. <laughs> That's right. That's exactly right. So, okay. I know that one of the circumstances that I think you and I are both agree on is if there's blatant abuse, it's probably a good sign that maybe that marriage should either have some serious work or should end. So you detail out a lot of really good tips of like little aha moments that some of them I didn't even think about when it comes to financial abuse. So let's go through a couple of them. The first one that you talk about is a lack of transparency when it comes to money. Okay, can you elaborate on that one a little bit more? 
Sure. So, you know, one thing I want to like flag on this is that a lot of times you may, you may be in marriages that let's call them more traditional where you have one spouse that kind of doesn't want to deal with the money and the other spouse deals with it a hundred percent. And I am not saying, and I, I really always like to preface this with the fact that if you're in that type of traditional marriage or you like that, you know, you don't want to know about finances. You're like, I just want my bills to be paid. I don't really care how it happens. Um, and everybody's happy with that then when we go through this list, I don't want you to think you're, oh my God, I'm in a financially abusive marriage. It really comes down to what you want. So if you are a spouse that doesn't want to know about anything and your other spouse and your spouse doesn't show you anything, then there's no, there's not a transparency issue because you're not asking for it. The issue comes in when you say, I want to know what we have and I want to see our bank accounts and I want to understand it. And the other one said, and the spouse who handles the money says, no, 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 you don't need to know. Mm. or just shuts you out of it or says, you know, just don't worry your pretty little head about it or whatever it might be. That's where you can be in an abusive situation. Like you have every right. Money is marital money. Everybody owns it. There's no reason for you not to know about it if you choose to, you know? And again, if you don't choose to, that's totally fine. But if you do choose to, then I would consider that to be, you know, possibly financially abusive. Yeah, I I completely agree. I think that transparency thing is everything. And I love that you reiterated the fact that if you're asking about it and then they are hiding it, that's when it's a problem. If you are not asking the question, it's not necessarily a lack of transparency. You're just not asking the right questions, too. So I appreciate that differentiator. What is another big red flag when it comes to financial abuse? So, you know, a lot of times we'll have, and again, I want to, I'll do a, you know, a disclaimer on this, but a lot of times you'll have somebody who puts somebody else on with an allowance. Now, there's a difference between an allowance and a budget. I mean, a budget is where you say, as a family, this makes, what's, this makes sense for us to spend X, and this is what we're going to spend to be able to reach whatever financial goals we have. Allowance is where you have one person who controls the money, gives a little bit amount to the other person, and then that person spends whatever they want. And that could be the very big difference. And again, assuming that that makes you unhappy, you may be fine working within whatever financial means you're given. But if you say, no, that's not fair. Why should I be buying my clothes at garage sales and you're going to Saks? That might not seem fair. Um, and so that's, again, another thing that you can just talk about. I mean, a lot of the thing with financial abuse comes down to control. I mean, that's really that's using money as a way to control the other person. And so if that is what you're experiencing, that could be, you know, you could be possibly in a financially abusive marriage. Okay. So I, this is like hitting close to home for me too, just to give you guys all some context. My, my mom was in a controlling abusive relationship for like 20 years, something crazy like that. And everything that you're talking about, Jacqueline was exactly verbatim, exactly what was happening. And so this is interesting to reflect on this, to see how subtle this stuff is, but how profound it, it can be and how it does, it comes all down to control. So we definitely have transparency and allowance um, what else is a good red flag? You know, so this happens sometimes. And again, it may not seem what this, when I, what I'm about to explain can sometimes not even be done on purpose consciously. But what I've seen a lot is where you have, um, you know, let's just, you have a husband who earns the money. You have a wife who had a very successful career, has a child and wants to go back to work. And I have seen a lot of situations that end up in my office where the husband says, no, 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 you should be home with the child. What kind of mother are you? Why would you want to work? I make enough money. You shouldn't want to work. Now, that can be done. That could be the reasoning behind that could be one that, you know, the husband truly believes that the child, the mother should be home and that the child should be, blah, blah, blah. The other reason could be is that it gives him a sense of control. 
And, you know, where I see this, which is interesting, is very often if you have a mother who out-earns the husband, mm. sometimes this happens, really? even though he earns enough to keep their lives going. Because I think that, you know, they're, they're you know, while, again, I have so many more women now, which is another thing that, you know, is like referenced in the book as a new rule. I have many women who out-earn their husbands now. Um, yeah, no, it's definitely happening. But when that is being shut down, and, and then someone is being made feel, feel guilty for going back to work by, you know, not being with their child 24-7... That's the issue. If you make a decision that you want to be home with your child, that is 100% fine. That is your decision, and that's fine. But you shouldn't be dictated to do that and made feel badly about it with the idea that it's possibly being done as a way to be able to assert control over you over the money because now you have one spouse who's earning it. Mm. So again, decisions have to be made together. That's the point. Yeah, that's such a tough situation too because that comes down to almost – like I, I could imagine for we're using the example of like male female traditional relationship, but that would almost feel like an identity issue. Like, oh my God, who am I? I can't provide. I can't take care of my family right. because my spouse is earning more, even though the family all benefits here. It's the craziest thing. Right. But, right. But yeah. Okay. Well, I joke about. It. I was like, any guy walks away from that, he doesn't like free money. <laughs> no doubt, right? Like, why would you ever complain about that? Right. It's I'm stealing that actually from. I think uh, it was a comedian. I want to say it was Ali Wong. I think someone who said that. Oh, that so sounds stealing. about. I'm right. stealing her line. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> she's the best. Okay, so definitely somebody that may is made to feel guilty about wanting to go back to work um, from a place of control. And then the last one that you talk a lot about, or the the next one you talk a lot about, is a spouse stealing money. So right. what is stealing money exactly in a spousal relationship? So what can happen? So let's say, you know, one spouse inherits money from a parent that passed. And then that other spouse takes that money and spends it or uses it or whatever without permission. Again, it's all about this goes back again to communication. I've seen situations where let's say the husband inherited money and the wife just takes it and spends it. From her perspective, this was marital money. From mm. his perspective, this was my mother's money. And you know, he saw it as stealing and she saw it as, what do you mean? Money's money. It's fungible. Who cares? But there has to be communication about it. I mean, that's what it comes down to. But when you take money that is not yours, that is stealing. hundred mm-hmm. percent. And I think that it, that is a, a really good point too. Are there any other red flags that we didn't cover that you think are important to note? Um, you know, again, I think, you know, as a whole, you know, the, the whole thing is about being open and communicative about money if you want to be and transparency and you'll see it. So when you start being in that situation, as I said, where somebody is using money to control you in any way whatsoever, that is not that you're not on the same page with, or you don't understand the meaning from, then I think that that could be possibly an abusive relationship. So if somebody identifies that they are, a couple of these red flags are sticking out to them and they identify themselves in this situation, what in your opinion would be the next step? How do you approach that delicately without causing a lot of potential physical and and verbal harm. How do you start to approach this? Well, I mean, I would say this. So if very often this is coupled with other emotional abusive actions and sometimes physical as well. So, you know, it's not usually done in a vacuum, Mm. financial abuses, because again, it's all about control. Um, So look, if you think that there's possibility of you being hurt in any way by confronting it, you need to be very, very careful and you would do it in a public place and you would make sure that your kids had somewhere to be like, you'd have to take all the steps you would take in any kind of physically abusive relationship. Um, you know, it's been emotional abuse and there isn't physical, you know, there isn't, you know, fear of actual bodily harm. Then I would say that 
you know, again, I usually promote people to have these conversations in public because people behave better in public and you're also protected if there is anything. Um, so I would suggest that, I mean, if you can do it in the safety of a marriage counselor, you know, that's obviously, you know, a safe space and I'm a big advocate of people, you know, going to therapy and doing what they can to improve communication and relationships. Cause a lot of times people don't recognize they're being financially abusive, especially if you have people that, you know, come from very, very traditional families and the generations go back and sometimes it's cultural and there's a lot of things to this. This isn't as black and white. Um, you know, and I've definitely had cases where someone was being clearly financially abusive, but had no, it would never have defined it that way because that's what his father did and his father before that, et cetera, et cetera. It's all learned behavior, but that doesn't make it right. And so it's really on everybody's, you know, it's, it's everybody else's responsibility to show that just because something's been happening for a long time does not mean that it should continue happening. I, I think that's a great point too. And I appreciate you bringing that up from your perspective. How common is financial abuse in relationships? I think it's more common than people think it is. And I think the real reason is because it's hidden within finance, emotional abuse. I mean, usually people will say someone's emotionally abusive. You don't very often hear someone use the term financially abusive because it's just under the umbrella of emotional abuse. But it is something different. And, you know, I think that, you know, if you're financially, if you're being financially abused, you're being emotionally abused. But if you're emotionally abused, it doesn't mean you're necessarily being financially abused. I love this. This is such a good conversation. I appreciate you taking the time to just come on and share some of your tips and a little bit about your book too. So was there a rule when you were researching your book that stood out to you that really you didn't think would be a rule, but you wrote it down and were like, aha, this is interesting. It was, you know, I'll tell you, one of the biggest ones was the custody thing, really? you know, cause I get all these moms that come in and say, or these dads that come in and say, I want 50, 50, but I'll never get it. I was like, slow down. <laughs> I was like, that's not necessarily true. And I think that was really one of the biggest things um, that I was just seeing more and more over the last, like, say, you know, really probably five years. And I was just like, I wanted people to read this and know, because again, it might change the way you approach your entire divorce. Like if you think you got this in the bag, you don't, you know, and even from a financial perspective, um, you know, the other thing is that spousal support has changed drastically, you know, back in the day, you know, white you know, women would get it for life. That doesn't happen anymore. And now, and you're watching, at least in New York, it becoming less and less because more women are in their workforce and, you know, they're earning money and there's a whole big shift that's happening. And so it's very interesting to watch. But again, you have all these people that may leave their careers thinking they're going to be financially supported forever. And I want people to think about that. You know, you have people that just change the way they live their lives thinking that all this is going to happen forever. And I want them just to be, I want people to make educated decisions. I mean, that's really, if you read this book, and afterwards, you make an educated decision to either stay in your marriage or get out of it. As long as it's educated, you know, I fully support it. Yeah, I love that you wrote this book, too, because I think even if you're you're not even considering divorce, like it's not even on the table. I think reading this to, again, educate yourself, like you were saying, is so critical. It's yeah. so good to have that that education so you know what can happen in the event of something bad or some event that you didn't expect. Like, I, I think it's, it's super smart too. So for the book, where do people go to get it? I know it's on Amazon. Is there anywhere else? Yeah, it's on Barnes and Noble. It's basically anywhere books are sold. Yeah. Congratulations on writing the book too. Thank you. I appreciate that. I've heard that's quite the work and you have another book out there too, don't you? Uh, well, no, that book got taken down actually. And this one is, this one's it now. This is it. You're like, this is my life's <laughs> this work. Is it. This is it. Yeah, no, absolutely. <laughs> okay. So personal question, you're in an area that's pretty heavy and I can imagine really weighs on you at times. How do you take care of yourself like emotionally? You know, I mean, I've been doing this for a really long time. I will say 
you know, I, I, I am, I do have an ability to somewhat compartmentalize. Yeah. So, you know, I don't take as much home as I think most people would think you would. And plus, you know, for me, I'm really able to recognize, like, I know people are going to get through this. Like I've seen what happens on the other end of it. And so while they're stuck in the muck of it, <clears throat> excuse me, while you're stuck in the muck of it to them, they think their lives are exploding. But I know that there's an end, you know, I know what that light at the tunnel is. So for me, it's really about helping them in the path to get there. But because I'm so confident and know what's going to be there, it doesn't weigh me down as much as it would weigh them down, obviously, in the moment. Um, so, you know, so for self-protection, I mean, it's really, you know, I love what I do. So I don't even know how much I have to protect myself from it. I feel so honored to be able to help people get through this time in their lives. And I, and I truly, truly love it. And, you know, and I get to know amazing people and I get to learn so much with every case is different. So I don't know if I have to protect myself so much because I really enjoy it. That's so good. I love that. That's a great answer. Um, before we officially part ways, are you down for some rapid fire questions? Sure. Okay. My first question for you is what is one purchase you've recently made that has made your life better? Made my life better. Uh, you know what? I, <laughs> I got these earphones because my AirPods were not working so well with my computer. And obviously I'm on Zoom and Skype and everything all day long. So I got these plugins and now like life is so much better. <laughs> the little things, right? <laughs> it truly is. Best $17.99 I've ever spent. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Going back, going back in the technology world. That's weird, right? That's right. <laughs> okay. My next question for you is, I don't I'm personally obsessed with people's morning routines. I just think they're so interesting. So I know you've got a family, but what is your current morning routine? Well, we're all off now because, you know, we're all living in our land. Um, so I usually wake up. So I'm a big late night person. So I don't go to bed till like usually around two. And then I wake up around like nine thirty, ten. I'll do a quick shower. I wake my kids up um, who usually aren't. I have teenagers, so they're not usually awake. Well, it's 11 and 13, so not totally teenagers. But like waking up, usually I wake them up around 10, 30, 11. And then I start, you know, giving them their list of all the stuff they have to do for the day. And then my calls start, you know, I usually will have like some coffee and I'll have some sort of like protein shake and then I'm doing calls for the day. So, I mean, it's really not that part of it is not, you know, as exciting, but I'll be curious to see what ends up happening as we continue in this land of zoom. Yeah, no kidding. It, it's definitely different. And God bless you for running your business with kids at home too. <laughs> yeah. Has its moments. <laughs> <laughs> I can imagine. Okay, so where is one location you're dying to travel to? Australia. I want to go to Australia. And it's one of those trips that you can't just like go for a week. So I have to somehow be able to carve out a good amount of time. And I also don't love, love, love flying long distance, which is another little little hiccup with the whole Australia thing. But it, it's on the bucket list. So I love that. Yeah. Would you go for like two weeks, a month? What are you thinking? Um God, I can, you know, back in the day, I wouldn't imagine being out of the office for a month, but now, um, yeah, I would say probably two to three weeks. Perfect. I love it. Okay. Final question for you. In your opinion, what is the secret to financial success? I think thinking big, but living within, within your means. I think you can dream big, but you have to be smart about it. I mean, that's really what it comes down to. You know, I'm a big thinker, but I very much live my life, you know, I, well, I don't feel like I skimp and I do the things I want to do, but I've made certain life choices to be able to live within my means. I love it. Jacqueline, thank you so much for hanging out. It was so much fun chatting with you, learning about a pretty heavy topic for a lot of people, but I appreciate you taking the time. Oh, thanks so much for having me. This has been great. 
All right. What did you think of this episode? Did it resonate with you or did it make you think of somebody you know? If so, send them this episode delicately too, because I know this conversation can be a little bit awkward sometimes, but it's a really important one to have. And I'm so grateful that you tuned into it and you listened all the way through. Really does mean a lot to me. And yeah, I mean, that is it for today. Thank you so much for tuning in and I will see you next week for another episode of the Money Nerds Podcast. Bye. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.